CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hi, this is Josh Marshall and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. David. Hello, Hello Josh. How are you? Uh, how are you? I thought I just I'd introduce the show a little because I always, you know, it's I always do this thing where I'm kind of like, oh, can da 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 da, and then I say, hey, David, what's up? And I keep going because it's always like <laughs> I'm here. I'm, I'm here. sort of yeah. I, I kind of I I've, I've always like how do I how do I how do I how do I segue to that? So that's right. my, that's my new way. Uh, so um, I well, you know, let me let me let me just discuss Grady's to get some get some Yo, business get out some, of the way. Exactly. Uh, if you're roughing it in the wilderness or traveling to some remote location, finding the perfect cup of iced coffee can be a serious challenge. But Grady's Cold Brew is here to help. Grady's reusable all-in-one cold brew kit is ultra light and packs flat, so it's easy to stash in your suitcase or backpack. All you need to do is add water, tap, bottled, whatever, filtered, directly from a mountain stream, no electricity or refrigeration required when you brew it this fresh. Each kit makes 36 cups for only 30 bucks, and shipping is free. Grady's Cold Brew is independently owned and operated in New York City since 2011. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. All right. So we want to discuss a couple of things today. Obviously, we've had two nights of debates. Uh, joining us is Josh Kavensky, investigative reporter. Hey, Josh. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Good. And then after we discuss the debates, we want to dig into the Senate Intel report on Russian interference in the 2016 election. That report dropped just about a week ago. Is that right, Josh? Yeah, it was exactly a week ago. Honestly, it landed a little... It was sort of under the radar in a way, right? I mean, maybe it it's was. just because... Well, it was still after the Mueller. Mueller. It was a day or so exactly. after Mueller. So right. everybody, everybody was still talking about Mueller, right. basically. Yeah. And I mean, it wasn't released with a ton of fanfare. I mean, it just kind of right. came out as... Kind of just dropped yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. Did, we, did people know it was coming? Uh, or they just kind of did it. I think that there was a sense that it was going to come out over the summer, but it wasn't. Okay, yeah. so not so. But not basically, when it happened, it was not expected. So that yeah. probably added to it, right? And and there wasn't. I guess there wasn't. There weren't huge revelations. So although there were so a lot of small ones, which we can right. which yeah. we can discuss. Right. So on the debates, we've all been staying up late last couple nights, especially when you have this two debates in yeah. a row. It's a. It's a big sort of personnel and organizational event at TPM. Yeah, because, that's right. Because we're normally we don't work in the evening. That's right. We're a small staff. We have to kind of pick and choose where we can be the most effective covering the news in the day. Obviously, debates are kind of the kickoff of the 2020 campaign, more or less. They're a marquee event. You know, a lot of people in the country are kind of getting their first real glimpse at the candidates. So, you know, we work during the day. We try to come in a little bit later to give ourselves a little break in the morning, and then we work late into the night, basically. Yeah, it's like a whole, it's like a marathon, especially yeah. when they, like like you said, especially when they do back-to-back, which yeah. is pretty intense. It's, yeah. like, it's it's almost six hours yeah. uh, combined, and obviously we're here before, you know, there, there's the sort of the prep, and then there's the, 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 the there's the taking stock afterwards exactly. and all that stuff. Yeah. Right. But, uh, yeah. So, I, I, we were just talking before we started. Um, I thought the first debate, you know, the first of these of these two debates, the first of the back-to-back debates, I thought that was a good debate. 
just not like a good debate for Sanders or Warren, just a good debate overall. And the reason I thought it was a good debate was is a reason that uh, CNN actually got a lot of criticism for. And that was that they were sort of, you know, giving half the time to John Delaney, who's <laughs> right. this guy who has like almost literally zero support. Um, and that they were sort of baiting the candidates against each other. But at least the first night, I thought that worked out well, because in those exchanges between Delaney and Warren and a few between other people, I thought you actually got a pretty good exposition of what the issues were. And and not just the policy differences, but the sort of the strategic differences. Like, are we going to, you know, are there a bunch of things we can't do and we have to do X, Y, and Z? Or do we, you know, have a more maximal, you know, more fundamental uh change in the way the federal government works. And Warren's, basically Warren's big quote, big moment of the night was saying, I guess it was responding to Delaney, right? She's like, I don't know why we run for president, you know, to make a case for all the things we can't do. And I thought, you know, that was a good moment for her, obviously. Kind of the standout quote of the whole night, the first yeah, night. Yeah, and I, I, I just thought again, it was sort of good in civic terms because I right. think if you, if you, you know, we kind of live awash in all these debates. But if you hadn't really been presented with them or thought about them, I thought that both sides sort of stated their position pretty clearly. Both and, sides being the sort of progressive wing and yeah, the moderates. Yeah, yeah, which was which was, you know, kind of oddly taken by Delaney, who's again <laughs> this sort of non candidate. Um but again, I and then that's a uh, but I mean, that, if, if yeah. anything, that helped Warren and Bernie, right? Because I mean, he was not a candidate, but he's also somebody who's a little bit patently ridiculous. Yeah, stress. yeah, he's like a, he's so, like a perfect foil for yeah, them. He's what you want to have. Yeah. yeah, well, and that's also an example of why this basic model of of separating the sort of the real candidates into two different nights is so bad. Yeah. Because you've got a lot of people up there who are not really. Who who literally have not been able to consistently get above one percent support. So in practice, they are not even in the campaign. Yeah. And you have four or five, maybe six candidates who are really contenders. And in that, to your point, Josh, you should have had that conversation being carried on with Biden or maybe right, Harris right, right. or you know, it didn't. So, but but the, the first one I thought was was pretty good. Last night was kind of more jagged somehow um and much I, yeah. much sharper just not personal attacks exactly but just more going after each other i think Th- than there the first was night. yeah there was more like intensity like yeah. like in those in those um in in those exchanges between warren and delaney I didn't get any sense that she's mad at him. Right. She doesn't care about him. He's not right. even in the race, right? But with but between like Biden and 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 Harris and some of the others, like you get a sense of those people are not like there's some personal yeah, yeah, for stuff sure. going I mean, from the, on from there. Even before the debate started, when Biden on the hot mic told Harris, "Take it easy on me, kid." Right. Oh, I right, mean, that right, sort right. of set the tone for the whole night. In yeah. A way, right. Yeah. A is yeah. sort of like. You know, people thought maybe it was dismissive of her. She's, you know, 50-year-old, you know, senator, former yeah. prosecutor. And, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 funny. You know, there's, I, I was, I'll just be, I said this before we went on air, and I'll just say it again to be candid about it. I, I, I feel a protectiveness about Biden, not because I'm invested in him being president or his campaign, but I fear that he may be the one strong odds candidate 
versus Trump. And that is largely based on these very early polls that could change, um, but they're very consistent. And they and they and the sort of the internal the cross tabs of those polls show something that he seems to have particular strength in those states that killed the Democrats in 2016. Yeah, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin. So I, I kind of don't want him to, don't want him to fall apart before I see someone else kind of step up and 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 get that same kind of traction. And there were those, you know, there there was that en- there was the ending with the website that was like, you know, he's running in the year 30 million or whatever it was. <laughs> that was like a little unsettling. And there were other times where. It, you know, it it didn't seem, you know, kind of maybe sharp as attack or, right, or right. I mean, the sort of Biden's best defense is like, I've always been inarticulate. You're right. I've always <laughs> I've always had lots of gaps, which is part of his appeal. Right. Yeah. I mean, he seems yeah. like an average guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I uh, you know, the funny it's funny. Some, <laughs> someone else mentioned this in an email, uh, a reader email this morning. And I think I think I mentioned it either on the site or on Twitter that Biden had this thing where anytime any moderator said, okay, so you yeah, just like, basically cut off. Almost exactly, like stopped yeah. in word. And, and this reader was saying, you know, that doesn't show the kind of a, the toughness that you're going to have to have against Trump because, you know, there's always a lot of meta signaling about debate behavior, kind right. of like I call the shots, you don't call the shots. Right. And, but there was, it's funny because in a few of the, um, in a few of the exchanges, he ended his own answers with some kind of like, well, you, whatever, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And I I kind of felt like it wasn't so much that he was being, um, it wasn't so much that he was being submissive, is that he was basically done. And it was just a good excuse to stop talking, (laughs) basically. It felt like the moderators were giving the candidates a little bit more latitude last night. I think on the first night on Tuesday, the 60-second window to kind of get your point across was so short that by the time like you even make a coherent point, they're like, thank you, Senator. Yeah, it's it's kind of ridiculous. One minute is kind of ridiculous, and they're forced into it by having these two nights of 10 people. Exactly, It's, it's, It's this whole thing is the sort of the long shadow of, you know, the rigged 2016 cycle where they only had, you know, allegedly yeah. a few debates and they were on Saturday and all right. this kind of stuff. So they're, you know, they're they're sort of fighting the last war on yeah. that one. Yeah. Right. But it does bring us to the other, like, septuagenarian uh, sort of front runner, which is Bernie Sanders, right? So I, I'm curious, like, what you think, because, I mean, I think some of the argument you see is on Twitter, at least in, like, the discourse is that, um, yeah, Biden's a front runner now, but, like, you know, the really the one who could, like, really defeat Trump and kind of come from behind is Bernie. Uh, I, I, I don't, well... The polls, again, and all the things about the polls, early, blah, 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 the polls are actually pretty consistent. They show, and again, this is not the, I'm not talking about the primary polls. I'm talking about general election horse race polls, candidates versus Trump. And they show very consistently that Biden is always significantly ahead of Trump, sometimes by as much as like 10 points or even more. And that kind of margin from high single digits to the very low teens is 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 very consistent. Sanders is also consistently ahead of Trump but significantly back from 
uh, from Biden. Now, it may only be maybe four points or something like that, so it's not a huge amount, but again, consistent over time. And then pretty much everyone else is kind of locked in sort of margin of error territory, you know, kind of tied occasionally they're ahead, but not consistently. And, and you know, often it's, it's, it's just tied. So even those, those, you know, early and changeable polls suggest that Sanders would be a reasonably strong candidate and, and stronger than, you know, Harris or Buttigieg or Warren or something like that. Um, and some of that may be name recognition. He was the, you know, he was the runner up last time. I have a, a just personal take that I think, uh, Sanders would not be a strong general election candidate because I think so many of his positions and some of his cultural politics that is more kind of in his background would hurt him in a general election campaign. Um, I may be wrong about that. That's just kind of my take, which is not, which is just my kind of take on politics uh, overall. Um, uh, and so I don't think so, but it's it's really kind of most of most of my kind of feeling about this campaign now is just that the these polls are very consistent about Biden doing significantly better against Trump than the others and the others often being in kind of tie or near tie territory so even on the basis of these early polls could could Elizabeth Warren or or Kamala Harris beat Trump absolutely but it seems like more you kind of start near near tide and the consequences of Trump are so vast that that scares me a lot. Right. Um, and so that's, yeah. you know, people kind of say, oh, you know, you're this big Biden. I'm not, I'm not a big Biden person. I mean, I kind of I have um, sort of, uh, you know, just sort of generally positive feelings towards him as a person. He's been around for a long time. Thought he did a good job as vice president, but who cares? That doesn't mean he should be president. So right. I really couldn't care less about him. Right. I'm just really focused on um, on beating Trump. And, and like a lot of things, I tend to be I, I've always tended to be fairly small C conservative and 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 risk averse. That's just sort of something kind of built into my built into my DNA. So that's my that's my take. Yeah. What were you guys' impressions of the the moderators, the kind of CNN spectacle in general? I mean, started out with these WWE esque yeah intro, introductory graphics. I mean, it was kind of amazing. It was almost like a half an hour before actual questions and debate was even presented. I mean, there's a commercial break like immediately. I don't know. Just sort of gets a little little tiring. I agree it gets a little tiring, but like, I mean, what was it? It's $300,000 for an ad spot. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that, that, I mean, that struck me <laughs> as a plausible explanation, especially for the introduction, because it was like, a, it was a way of giving them like 10, 15 minutes until right. they could yeah. run, run a commercial break. Right. Well, it's yeah. also, it's also, I, I don't know exactly, but when I was, you know, I kind of, uh, left early, had a, you know, had a couple hours of downtime before we got started again with our coverage. And when I kind of would just kind of check in and look, it seemed like, you know, there was the pre-debate hour. Right. And then there was the, then there was the, the pre pre debate. I mean, they had all these <laughs> yeah. kind of, and they have that clock up that's like 24 hours exactly. until yeah, the beginning right. of the debate. I mean, when the first night, immediately after the first night the debate was over, there was already a countdown clock 
for the second night, like, yeah, you know, 23 right. hours to go kind yeah, of thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, part of that, well, I think there's three things. One is that they want to make a lot of money, yeah. which whatever, that's what they do. They're, they're, they're in business and, and, and uh, even for TV, news is a difficult business. Um, and part of it, I think, is a lot of that, I think, is just advertising for the, themselves, for right. CNN. Right. Because not everybody who tunes in is going to be a regular CNN watcher. So they have a kind of a semi-captive audience mm-hmm. and they want to kind of, hit you over the head with CNN like constantly. Right. And then the other thing is sort of like um, if not everybody can do all that like razzmatazz, right? With all <laughs> yeah. the, like the graphics and yeah. shit. Um, and so they just want to kind of show like, dude, we're CNN, yeah. man. And kind of like League of Women Voters isn't going to do this. Right. They're not going to come up with these graphics. Yeah, I guess that's true. That's true. Yeah. You know, not that, not who cares? Like we don't need the graphics. Right. But I, I, I have to imagine that those are the those are the, you know. Yeah, those it seems like this will be the last. It. it seems like this will be the last of the kind of primary debates with twenty people on stage two nights, right? Yeah, yeah. I think the next debate is on CBS. I want to say in yeah, September. I don't know. But it, I know but it's I know in September. The, I don't know who's running. You know, the it, requirements a, are quite it, a bit higher. Yeah, it's like a pared down amount of people. Yeah. yeah. Well, isn't it what is? It's it's more. They need more contributors, but I think it's the first one where you need some some non-trivial poll support like is it two percent you need to be like four polls where you're two percent which is pretty sad right (laughs) is that is that what it okay yeah yeah so that's gonna yang just got disqualified because he tried to submit two polls that were like run by the same like firm or something Uh, yeah because it has to be four polls from four separate like organizations wait he already got disqualified for one of the debates if i if i recall correctly oh it happened yesterday yeah. Huh. Well, I, but I don't understand. I wouldn't. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think he should be in the debates at all. But but <laughs> shouldn't he have the next six weeks to sh- like if he suddenly catches fire or do you have to submit? Paul, I don't understand. How does that work? It, it was some there was some cutoff. But uh, huh. I mean, maybe he can like submit a poll in the future. Right. But, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Right. I, I think, you know, what? I missed it. That what actually happened. Now I recall what actually happened was, was that he submitted four polls. One of them was like it was like a Wall Street Journal Reuters like joint thing. And they were like, well, that's, you know, actually just one poll, not two. Oh, he submitted uh, his right. both. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, not how it works. You think that, yeah, that's uh, who you think you're dealing with. Right, right. That's, yeah. that's not a very sophisticated, uh, yeah. you know, I, fool people. I'm with. curious. I mean, the, you know, the first NBC debate was something like 15 point some million viewers. The first night of the CNN debate was 8.3 million viewers. So, you know, a little more than a little like almost half as many viewers. I don't think we have the second night numbers out yet. Do people even care about this yet? I mean, is it more just a branding exercise for the cable networks themselves? Or, you know, did we learn anything actually, I don't know, significant about the candidates? I, You know, I think that... Uh, obviously, all the sort of the minor candidates... Need to get seen for the first time, so every opportunity right. is, is life and death and means everything. Um, I do think, just in just in the sort of the conventional wisdom, whatever that that Biden seemed rusty on mm-hmm. the first time, and he needed to show that he could kind of get in there. And you know, by and large, I thought he did. I mean, he did have these. He did have these moments where he seemed a little shaky, and I don't know how much of that is that, um, you know, I and other people know he's a man in his mid-70s. So kind of like if if uh, if, if a younger person sort of, you know, their train of thought isn't, isn't clear, you're just like, okay, whatever, they're not that good at this. Whereas everything is sort of seen through that prism with him, and, and you know, at some level... 
maybe people will get on my case about this, but I'm, that's that's not terribly that's not unfair. I mean, the reality is we we humans get you know sometimes there are dramatic issues, but age affects us, right. and so that is not a not an unreasonable thing. Having said all that, I thought his researchers kind of loaded him to bear with some pretty relevant points, and he used those in his exchanges with other people, and I thought to pretty good effect. I mean, I you know, yeah. there's that thing with, um, I mean, you could see that... Uh, that Cory Booker was galled by his by Biden bringing up his like stewardship in Newark. Yeah. But but, you know, I'm not so sure that's unfair. And I don't think Biden was kind of saying like, oh, you're like, you know, you're a white supremacist or something, but kind of like, you know, OK, if we want to talk about things that happened before the current moment, you know, you were doing I mean, I don't know that I'm I'm assuming since since uh uh, Booker didn't actually, you know, kind of contest this point that they were doing stop and frisk in Newark during a significant amount of his. Well, OK, that's, you know, if, if that, that does, that's not unreasonable to bring up. Right. So I thought he I thought he I thought he did pretty well. Again, it was sort of marred by this this kind of, you know, uh, clothes, which was right, which right. was uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and when it's the la- you know, when it's the last word you hear from from him, it does leave, you know, that's sort of the last impression you get. Right. This awkward text thing. Yeah. yeah and it was it was it was funny because it wasn't it. it <laughs> afterwards, you're like, OK, that must have been like a text thing. Yeah. But at the well, it was happening. You're like, dude, what the fuck are you talking yeah. about? And that's just like that's unsettling. Yeah, that's unsettling. I, I thought one of the interesting subtext with Biden last night was that a lot of the other candidates were basically assailing him on points of policy that I mean, Obama, the Obama administration. Right. Made. So, for example, like ramped up immigration. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Deportation. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that was interesting because I thought in the first night, oh, the entire discussion of health care was like, in a sense, kind of a proxy battle over what different factions of the party think about Obamacare, mm-hmm. whereas in the second night, which was surprising to me, that really kind of came out in the open in a way. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm actually, I'm writing a post right now. I didn't finish it before we came over here, but I think one of the things that is happening in this in this debate, and I think it's one of the reasons why Biden, despite, you know, it's like he's stumbling his way to victory the whole time, right? right. It's, not like, <laughs> it's not like he was killing it before this debate, you know, so, but yeah. I think one of the things is that when 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 Bernie Sanders got into the race in 2016, the premise of his campaign was that Obama got most things wrong, that the Democratic Party needed to move in a fundamentally different direction. Um, there's a friend of mine, acquaintance of mine of many years, who's kind of moved kind of very much, not even so much to the left, just a more kind of, you know, kind of radical take on where Democratic politics is. And his point is that the Obama administration was actually a disaster and the Democrats can't get things right until they realize that politically and in policy terms, it was a disaster. And they, again, they have to realize that before they can move forward. Now, set aside whether that's true or not, the reality is the vast majority of Democrats are pumped about Obama. They think he did a good job. They like him, blah, 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 blah. He has the highest approval rating among basically any Democratic right. party yeah, figure, right? And that's not surprising, a yeah. two-term, pre, you know, yeah. two-term ex-president. So when, when, when Bernie got in, that was, he kind of soft-pedaled that a bit because obviously uh, at the time Obama was popular incumbent president. But over the way that things have evolved from, from 2016 to, to 2020, partly Bernie has had a big imprint on, on just the policy outlines of the 2020 campaign. You've also had 
all this anti-Trump activism, which has moved the party to the left, but also on Josh, your point about deportations as, as immigration uh, activists made very clear at the time, the Obama administration deported a lot of people. Um, and by and large, the administration used that as a kind of a way to sort of prove their bona fides in the in, in, in the immigration reform context. Like, we're not softies on this. We, you know, we find people who are here, you know, here without, you know, undocumented. We deport them, blah, 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 blah. Now that we found out all this stuff about immigration detention and all this kind of stuff, that looks a little different. Okay. So, but I think what has happened is, is that the whole debate where the debate is in policy terms, if you step back from it, the premises of that debate are that Obama really did get everything wrong or a lot of things wrong. And I think the reality is that, again, it's not being stated quite explicitly, but the reality is that's just not where the great majority of Democrats are. And I think that is why Biden is holding up as well as he is, even with... um, all sorts of disadvantages and liabilities and reasons that you can make a really good argument. Like it's just not his time. It's his time has passed. Uh, because again, and, and he, you could see him starting to kind of pretty openly make that point, you know, in, on a few different kinds like, dude, yeah. Obamacare was great. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> right. You know, we're going to build on it, but what are you talking about? And, and, but at and when he said like, you know, Obama selected me, like, what are you guys talking about? Yeah. 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 And, and, right. and, 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 and that is clearly, that's, it's clearly galling to those candidates who want to, who want to criticize him, but it's a, you know, in the context of democratic politics, it's a pretty, it's a pretty strong point, or I would at least say pretty effective point and and you saw him saying something that no no democrats have been saying uh in any of these debates when they got into immigration when he got into you know deportation and stuff like this to saying we're not going to separate families we're going to increase you know increase the number of asylum you know uh, uh you know kind of uh, slots for asylum seekers uh we're going to get we're going to add a lot of judges so people don't have to kind of cool their, you know, cool their heels, wrong way to put it, but, but be into town, all this kind of stuff. But, but if you're not, if you're here undocumented, you can get deported and, and we have a system of rules and stuff like that. And that's part of the thing that's just not been part of the debate at all, but clearly Biden's thinking towards the general election right. and also basically right. saying, Hey, Obama did it. Right. Can't be all bad. Right. Yeah. Well, that seems like a good point to end on. Should we uh, move on to the Senate Intel report? So last week we were talking about the Senate Intelligence Committee, Republican-led. The House Intel Committee under Devin Nunes was thought to be basically a joke. Uh, the Senate Intel Committee, more of a legit kind of investigation into Russian interference. And one that's been really comprehensive. Yeah. I mean, they've really scoured, uh, supposedly. Right. Yeah. And so one of the big takeaways, we've known about kind of Russian meddling at the state level. Arizona and Illinois were kind of two of the big examples, right? But we, we found out, I don't know, the much more widespread efforts to penetrate voting systems, local elections, right, Josh? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I mean, Illinois, I think, is kind of the leadoff point because in the report that was released last week, um, it's around 50, 60 pages, a lot of it's redacted, but they give a really kind of harrowing account of um, the Russian hackers accessing um, the Illinois voter rolls. So, and let's, it's important to distinguish that from the the vote tallies, there are different systems, but um, it was the voting rolls that they, the, the voter rolls that they accessed, and they accessed it to a point of control where, had they wanted to, they could have 
change the data. So it could have been like, I'm a Chicago resident, you know, I show up to vote, and all of a sudden I live on, you know, 7th Avenue in New York City or something like that. You know, so in theory, yeah. they, could have, they could have said, all right, everybody with the, with the sur- surname that starts with M, we're just going to delete them from the rolls. Or, and they show up and they can't vote. And in the report, they give, I mean, different scenarios, but here's one. Or more that, subtle ways, right? Yeah, or, yeah, you know, presumably that would not be a terribly <laughs> subtle way to go or, about like, it. Here, here's, yeah. here's, here's not a subtle way, but something that could have happened, you know, it's like they delete everybody in the city of Chicago. Illinois, all of a sudden, is a republic, it goes red, right? Or, you know, vice versa. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things you could do, but they had, right. they had that level of control. Yeah. So let me ask you, was I, I'm trying to think if I remember this, wasn't there something where it wasn't necessarily that more happened in Illinois, but Illinois was one state they actually named? What was the, what was it? It was, it was, it was the one they named. Yeah. And okay. I think it was the first one where they really, the FBI and everybody else really kind of got on to what was cutting on to what was happening. Yeah. So, okay. But globally with this report is, is it really the case like, wow, something, something much bigger happened in Illinois or more like this is just an example of what happened? Right. It's the most detailed example. And it's also, again, the one state where it's not clear with the other ones, you know, they, they got access, they got data, but it's not clear apart from Illinois if they ever got to the point where they could really change the information within the system. In Illinois, at least in terms of the voters, uh, the voter registrations, they, they, they have that capability. Crucially, they didn't do it as far as the government, mm-hmm. the government can tell. And there's a whole number of reasons and questions about why that might have right. happened. Now, isn't, isn't one thing that I, when I saw uh, your reporting on this and other reporting, and I, I didn't read the whole report, but I, I skimmed parts of it. One of the things that struck me, I mean, first of all, Every new report, like we, we find out a lot more happened than we thought happened, even though, as you say, their judgment is still that nothing was actually changed, not just the vote tallies, but like, you know, the voting rolls and stuff like that. But one thing that jumped out, I mean, first of all, that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence in itself if, if it keeps escalating with each new, you know, each right, new report. Josh Marshall, you wrote a post, you know, questioning, do we really know whether the totals or, you know, voter rolls were affected when you're kind of getting this drip drip over time, it becomes more serious, more extensive. You know, we, in this report, there's evidence that basically all 50 states were targeted, right? That, yeah, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence that the initial kind of conclusions or assumptions we have about it are necessarily true. Right. And wasn't there, Josh, it, it seemed to me from what I could tell, in most cases, it's not like... The FBI, probably, you know, NSA isn't allowed to, but whoever the sort of the, the, the top people at the federal level, it's not like they were really doing this investigation. Most of it is just the folks at the state level, what they looked at and then kind of passed that on to the Fed. Is that basically right? Yeah. I mean, over time. So initially, there was a lot of tension between the state and federal authorities over time. Um, that I think eased out. It, you can tell from the report that it did, and I mean, th- there was more information sharing, and the feds were able to gather more, gather more data on what happened and how to kind of prevent this going forward. But isn't but, there okay? But maybe, and maybe this is a, a semantic dis- distinction. But at least my understanding of this is that okay. So so we're here in Wyoming, and here's our servers, and blah 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 blah. That the Wyoming people look at the network, look at the servers, pull server logs, do sort of, you know, analyses and stuff like that. And that generates a bunch of, you know, paper, uh, maybe figuratively speaking. And then they pass that on to the federal government and they kind of getting that from all the states, they put it all together. But that we're still kind of relying on whether those Wyoming people really had the know-how to to really... To do a forensic. Yeah, to really do a, a real forensic 
take and that does not inspire and I'm not yeah. picking on Wyoming here <laughs> just just uh, this is sophisticated stuff yeah, with yeah. you know kind of uh, state you know, state actor hacking. And I mean, the report concedes that they don't have perfect knowledge. I mean, they, they note that. Um, but, and you know, I think one interesting point too that came out was that when they first, when the FBI first sent out a warning about this in August, 2016, I mean, basically nobody noticed it. Cause I mean, it was just another like, Hey, you know, watch out for these IP addresses. Right. They're targeting you and people get hundreds of those a day. Right. Right. So right. Yeah. So they, so, okay. But so what is your, so your basic sense having read this thing is that, okay. Uh, Perfect knowledge is is a, is a very high bar, but am I right to? Th- I mean, because my 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 sort of uh, you know kind of uh, worst case scenario here is is just getting the guy who you know the sysop in in <laughs> Illinois kind of you know doing a few queries and stuff, and maybe he doesn't really have the know how or resources to really you know get to the bottom of it to the extent that one can get to the bottom. Obviously, if you, if the work is done really well on the other side, maybe you can never get to the bottom of it. But am I, am I, it sounds like maybe I'm inflating that, that I don't know if you're inflating, lack I mean, of knowledge or no, I concern. Know, I don't know if you're inflating. I mean, just from reading the report, my impression was that it was thorough and that it didn't, I mean, it, it didn't fundamentally alter any understanding that I had before. It just contributed to it. I mean, it added detail. And one thing I would also notice is that they're relying on the state assessments, but they're also relying on assessments from the intelligence community. So, for example, one really thing that leapt, leapt out at me was that um, they initially only identified 21 intrusions, but then um, they get more intelligence, like at some point in late 2018, around the time of the midterms, and it changes their understanding, and they have the sense that actually every every state in the, uh, was, was targeted in 2016. Now, was so that... it's an evolving... Yeah. My, my point is, like, their, their knowledge is evolving. But, now, yeah. was that because they were getting more more information relayed to them by the states or they were doing their own sort of primary investigation how does that well, work well so the point i just mentioned if i recall in the report it was made to seem as if that was like i mean like intelligence like like foreign facing intelligence okay so that was something else but it, it's so heavily redacted it's it, it's it's basically impossible to know certain sources methods are using so uh, so okay so so yeah. independent intelligence that is not from people looking at like right. the logs of the state computers but, but yeah, yeah. But, and the other point also is that the attacks weren't um they weren't able to discern any pattern in terms of like partisan lean of the states they were going after the systems they were going after the you know locales uh which also led them to conclude that it was probably targeting every every state in the country uh, interesting okay. yeah because it, it, it was a broad-based attack and that i think to an extent goes to the motives the potential motives they have a, they lay out a few in the report um, one of them is just to sow chaos. I mean, just the fact of, you know, hey, we're in Illinois and we could do this if we want to. Right. Hello, we're here. Right. Uh, is, is enough to, you know, cause doubt about the results of the election. Um, you know, it could have been reconnaissance. That's one thing they, is that there was just a lot of scanning, a lot of scoping out being done. Um, and there was another point, which was also that maybe they just didn't know what they, what they saw. Uh, you know, if you think about, again, the Illinois, I mean, I'm just using the Illinois example because it's the most detailed one. And it's, right. It's, it's interesting, but it's like, let's say you're some Russian guy and then some hacker in Siberia and all of a sudden you have like the Illinois voter rules. Right. You wouldn't necessarily know how, like, what to do with that. Right. Like, I mean, where's, I mean, Illinois, where's Illinois? Yeah. Well, 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 well it's, it's also funny. a level of political yeah. sophistication to right. understand. Yeah. Right. Well, it's all, it's funny because on the one hand, sort of like. If if you're really going to go to town, Illinois is way down the on the exactly, list of the places right. I yeah. would I would try to do something. Um, and on the other hand, kind of like maybe they don't know, but it's pretty basic stuff. I mean, you know, it, you, there it's not like it's not like uh, th- there aren't people in Russia who have even a basic understanding yeah. of how our politics works. Yeah, I mean, even just a cursory scan of news headlines will basically tell you what states are important and what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, it's. Uh, 
it's it's funny. I mean, two things occurred to me. One is that, and and a few readers who are who are knowledgeable in the you know cybersecurity, international intelligence, blah 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 world, made this point that most of what gets done at this level by all states is surveillance. You want information. You want to get access because the the you know in our system the sort of the political actors you know it's up to them you but you you if the word comes down that you want to do an attack you need you know the people on an operational level need to have already gained access so they can do it when the word comes um so so part of it is maybe that and and what i think a lot of people don't remember is there was this red phone thing with obama in the i think the last week of the campaign where they had he had sort of issued some warning to Putin, but a week before the campaign, and the red phone's not a literal red phone, I think it's like an email system now. But he, a more escalated kind of... Well, he sent a thing yeah. to, that, that any, he said, uh, any attempt to interfere with the election day, which I think means basically, you know, any interfering with the actual course of the election, we would consider an act of war, um, which, is, which is a pretty you know, a pretty, pretty stern warning. And so it at least seems theoretically possible that they just decided not to take any action because, you know, it's, it's, it's too much. Or maybe they were never the, 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 their version of the sort of the um, Intel operations people just that, that they were never supposed to. Right. The report lays out uh, different scenarios of what could have happened, for example, on election day. One of the ones that struck me as really interesting was that, you know, they can, there are different voting machines that can be hacked into remotely. Um, but the systems are so different, you know, even county to county and across the whole country, that it's just like, it would be really hard to do a coordinated campaign that would, you know, change the entire picture. But one scenario they did lay out was like, you know, the Russians like hack into like, like one, um, you know, like standard voting machine, and they kind of and like they they change the result, and they videotape themselves doing it, and then post that video to YouTube, and it gets like a million shares, and again, it casts a cloud on the legitimacy of the election. Right. So a lot of it, I think, ends up going to more to impression than it does to like the actual change, which is like, right. Yeah. Right. Well, I've always, you know, because this is a little this is a little before your guys' time, but in the in the early Bush administration, there was this big thing about. Um, vote, you know, diebold voting machines and lack of paper trails, and basically this idea that um, the the voting machines were really easy to hack, and that maybe we couldn't trust the results of the 2000 election, and then after 2004 that we couldn't allow, we couldn't trust those results, and it varied from very legitimate stuff to real conspiracy theory stuff, and I mean, but. Now, I mean, this is one of the big discussions. You should have a paper trail for all this stuff because without that, you can't do an audit. So that that is was then is now totally legitimate. My thought was always at the time, I was always a big skeptic that things actually had happened precisely because to pull it off, you need a lot of people involved and the consequences for U.S. actors, for people in the Republican Party to hack, to make it look legit. It, it, when, you, when you put it all together, a lot of people involved, people talk, blah, 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 not likely. And what has always been scary to me about this is exactly what you're saying. They could just go into one city in, Man, you know, one city in Wisconsin and just say, this precinct, we deleted the results. And then 
every, it, you know, our whole system is based on we have an election, the result, you know, there's some stuff at the margins, we all buy into it, and then we all accept what flows from that. And there you have a case where no one knows what happened and the whole system kind of falls apart. Right. It's, and even the social media efforts, right, from yeah. Russia's basically an effort to sow chaos, create you know, confusion and all that. So it seems like that would be kind of in line with it. And I mean, it actually goes to your point about what, you know, could have happened on election day, which is that uh, in the report, they mentioned that they had a social media campaign planned, which was basically saying that like Hillary Clinton stole the election, right. you know, and spreading all these allegations of voter fraud around the country uh, had she won. Right, yeah. right. Well, the key there is, again, with, with if, you, if you assume a foreign state actor, it doesn't have to be hidden. It can be totally obvious that it happened. Yeah. But if you don't, if, if you are... If it is impossible to find out what the election actually said, it kind of it, it doesn't matter. So the, mm-hmm. the the stakes of success are fundamentally different when it's a when it's a foreign actor. Obviously, a foreign actor presumably doesn't want to know, doesn't want you to know, or be able to prove it was them, because then that's a whole other serious thing. But if you can just say like, yeah, uh, we just deleted a bunch of the votes, so what are you going to do, <laughs> yeah. right? And that's that is I'll tell you for the for 2020 that is really scary. Because, you know, people talk about a lot, well, you know, Trump isn't going to go peacefully and stuff. I have some concerns about that, too. But if you have a clear electoral verdict, there's, there is, um, there's lots of, you know, and you can say with everything that's happened, I'm naive, but there's lots of institutional inertia and force that you have to go. But... If you have a situation where it is legitimately not clear who won and there's no real way to figure out who won. Yeah. Yeah, that's a disaster. And, yeah. and I'll contradict what I kind of implied earlier, which is also just that you know, national elections can come down to a few counties, right? So if you know where to target, I mean, yeah, not even, I'm not saying change the vote tallies. It's just, you know, just, yeah. ra- just ask, just to raise a question. I mean, yeah. you know, across the few states, we were talking about less than 100,000 votes, right? Between Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. Mm-hmm. So it's not yeah. really that many raw votes. No, and, and again, that that is what, uh, again, I'm still basically on, I think he he had a, a, a unique electoral coalition he had the critical support of third parties, and he just got kind of lucky. Um, but at the end of the day, the way it all played out with just a sliver of margin in three key states, it's it's always going to be hard. It's it's always going to be hard to dismiss. Man, that's that is how you would do it. You would you would take states that were going to be close and just nudge them to a plurality. And, and, and change everything. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard not to be a little suspicious, especially when, when uh, Democrats certainly, at some level, never are going to want to believe that that is what happened. There's lots of things we don't want to believe that happened that we don't want to believe it. And this is a case where kind of like, oh, there's like a little, <laughs> there's enough kindling of, of things to, to have doubt about that you can, you know, whip up a fire in, yeah. in your head. And, and, and who knows? You know, the, the report tries to address that slightly. Um, not so much the issue of just these specific counties, but just, uh, I mean, I think it's tough because, I mean, the Russians, from the report, it seems like they were target. They, they did, in some cases, target the vote tallies, but the vast majority of the targeting went to the... Um, 
registration. Right. The, yeah, the, 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 the voter data. Um, so yeah. tell us about that. But that's, since that obviously is the, is, the, is the real game, what, what about the tallies? What was in the report about the tallies? I mean, very little. And what they added also was just that there's other kind of information that might be inconsistent with each other, with itself, if they did successfully change vote tallies. So it could be anything from registration numbers or population numbers, you know, all these different things that you would also have to change, I think, around the base data. Right. To, like, you know, just the the choice data to make it kind of convincingly appear that uh, the result was different from what it actually was. And, And presumably there, and again, not to get into the conspiracy theories, this is what has always kind of weirded people out about the polling data and all that. You know that that uh, Paul Manafort was passing on to right. his, his 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 pal in Ukraine. That to if the model is not sowing confusion, but kind of like changing the result, as you say, Josh, that you really would need you'd need a lot of technical grasp into the data, and you need a pretty subtle understanding of a lot of technological issues and a lot of demographic issues, not to have it stick out like a sore thumb that something, that there was some big disconnect. All right, so uh, finishing up here, uh, let me toss in a quick Grady's Cold Brew, yada, 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 our sponsor, uh, go buy Grady's. It's uh, a little Marianne Williamson. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Not there. Uh, you know, and the, the key is get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo, promo code TPM. And remember, Become a member of TPM. Do it. Uh, TPM is is the the the, the news organization that, that uh, produces this podcast. Um, we are uh, supported by our subscribers, so uh, subscribe. You can you can get a Prime subscription. You can get a Prime ad free subscription. Uh, you can get an Inside subscription, which is sort of our kind of patron. Um, we are going to uh, you know serve you a drink every morning with a, with a fancy <laughs> napkin uh, subscription. And uh, basically, it's awesome, and it's how we stay in business. So please do it. You can even get 20% off a TPM Prime membership by going to this uh, special URL, which is talkingpointsmemo.com slash deal. So uh, this isn't some kind of theoretical thing. It's actually super important. So please uh, sign up and and, uh, get a bunch of extra content and features and all that kind of stuff, but also make it possible for us to keep doing what we are doing. So... uh, Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Later.